What's the future of entertainment and technology in the car? At the AP, we taught a computer to take a, a story written to be read and turn it into a story meant to be spoken. That's Jim Kennedy of the Associated Press, and this is Talking the Drive, where the people who create what's next reimagine what's possible in the connected car. I'm John McLeod, Rivet CEO, and joining Jim and me is Charlie Meyerson, Rivet VP of Editorial and Development. Jim, you just retired as Senior Vice President of Strategic Planning for the Associated Press. You, you did everything there, from journalism to even leading your company's investment in Rivet. When we started on this journey, we thought the car would be the new channel for smart content. What's happened, and maybe more important, what's to come? You know, the connected car, as I've always said, has, has been always sort of just around the corner. But it turns out that it's been parked for quite a while for various reasons, which we can talk about. But I think that situation is about to change for a whole bunch of, of reasons. And the driving force behind the car being a venue for this kind of consumption is the fact that everything else except the car has already progressed to this kind of consumption, which is not linear. On, it's, it's more on demand. It's more playlist oriented and more like your phone. I think that what we miscalculated some years ago and we thought it was literally around the corner was that we thought the car was already connected but yeah sort of it wasn't really connected there's computers in the car as we all know when we try to go get the cars our car serviced but the car wasn't literally connected to the internet all the time and it you know it's more of an elective in, in previous models of cars and now that the car has so much software in it has to be connected because that software has to be updated like a phone. I think the car experience is bound to change, especially as the car becomes more autonomous. And we're, you know, the, the autonomy of the car and the electrification of the car, the computerization of the car, all really still in uh, their infancy. And uh, it, all it takes is like one inflection point to make, to, to turn this. And I think it, that inflection point may come as we see some better alignment in the stakeholders here. So we've got at least three stakeholders. We've got the car companies, we've got the technology companies, and we've got the media companies. And, and to the extent that, that those interests become more and more aligned, I think you'll start to see some really dramatic changes, as you've seen in other places like, like streaming and television. I, I, wow, that changed pretty fast, right? So I think you're going to, the, the car experience can change just as quickly. So where does that go? I mean, and, and who's going to take the lead? Is it the car companies now who have to respond? Is it the media companies, as you put it, the tech companies, how do we align those planets? I think the autonomy of the car has to, has to advance. And then it's a matter of media companies, I think, trying to target some specific offerings. It's not going to be good to just ape whatever has happened before. It's not going to be, you can't repurpose, you know, radio station kind of programming and, and you can't repurpose streaming, but you can repurpose podcasts to some degree, I would think. But no new experience really succeeds without new creative programming being brought into this, brought into the environment. And so I think you'll see, first of all, you'll see a little bit of repurposing, just like what you saw, you know, early repurposing on the web and mobile. I think you'll see some early repurposing of existing content as people move to playlisting and, and on-demand access. And then you'll see, just like you've seen in, in video or television streaming, you'll, you'll see brand new programming being developed specifically for mobile environments. John, to get back to your, your question about, about cars and, and, and what comes next, I think a big piece of the puzzle that is going to get bigger in the years ahead are uh, something I've mentioned before on this show, which is 
citizens' concerns about privacy. Mm-hmm. When the car knows everything that you do and everywhere that you go, and increasingly I realize that's already the case, but when it becomes so essential to the use of a vehicle, I think there's going to be some resistance on the part of consumers to overcome that. I would make a really educated guess here that the mobile phone will still be the dominant remote control for just about everything. And so that's going to be a factor in how this all unfolds, because if the phone has to stay involved, and that means those companies have to stay involved, the expectation will be, first of all, I'm going to control everything with my phone. I already can unlock the doors. I already start the car. So it stands to reason I'm going to be able to do everything else with the phone. So that's, so that's number one. That's my expectation. And so since you've set your privacy, your privacy decisions have been made on the phone and you, want, and you expect them to translate, which is also another factor in, in, in how you know, the, the phone companies will still have a lot of leverage in the situation because they're going to control the devices and they're going to control privacy. I want to build on something that uh, Jim was talking about in terms of the repurposing of traditional radio content. And the thing that sticks out in my mind is, for instance, our friends at National Public Radio are putting their newscasts on demand. You can ask any smart device, play the latest from National Public Radio. And the first words you hear are live from NPR, when pretty clearly it's not live because I've asked for it. So, you know, small things like that, repositioning or creating content for traditional linear broadcast media that will work in the on-demand environment is a challenge that can be overcome. We know because we overcame it, but that a lot of traditional broadcasters are still wrestling with words like today, tonight, tomorrow, all render content useless at midnight or at least irrelevant or misleading. And all the newscasts are either using, you know, breaking news as a, as a lead in or tonight, this has happened when it hasn't even happened tonight. It happened earlier today, but they're still saying tonight, Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's irritating to see that. And, and it's going to really stand out in the car if it becomes on, on demand. Charlie, when, when we were thinking about that, we basically came up with new rules or commandments for how you produce streaming, perishable, contextual content because these stories could be delivered asynchronously and would have different rules of distribution based on freshness and location and all of that stuff. So how did you solve for some of those things? The thing that comes back to me is how we dealt with weather forecasts on Rivet, where we wanted to have an on-demand weather forecast that people could listen to for hours so that we as a relatively small team didn't have to re-record the weather forecast every few minutes. Is We stopped doing things like today, tonight, and tomorrow, because as soon as you say this morning, then it's useless or irrelevant or stale at noon. Yeah, we need a revision of the AP style book. Well, yeah, for this purpose. In in a way, I think we we took the first swing at that because we started with the AP style book and we came up with rules for how to produce streaming content. And one of the difference between news, traffic, weather versus other streaming content, 95, 98% of streaming content today is evergreen. So if you go to a Netflix or a Disney, you're basically watching evergreen non-perishable content, but in the car where your location is changing, your context is changing, the idea is how do you deliver 
perishable contextual audio first with some visual content. And I believe the value of that is enough for people to be willing to say, I'm willing to give up my location and information about me if you're actually delivering something of value. Yeah, so that's, that, it, yeah, exactly. That's my point about the, the content and the programming has to change to adapt to the situation. I mean, you're in the car, you're going somewhere, you got people to meet, things to do, you're on the clock, you're not kicking back with Netflix. So unless you're going for a really long trip, in which case the kids in the backseat are watching a video. But I think that adapting the content to the kind of experience that the passengers and the driver are actually going through at the moment is, is critical. Something that um, modern television delivery services have made me wish radio, especially radio in the car had, is the DVR sort of functionality. I mean, I'm, I'm spoiled now when I'm watching television, even yeah, if it's live, to back up 30 seconds. Oh, what was that? I want to, I want to hear that. And, and uh, when I am in the car these days <laughs> and I'm listening to news and they say something and I want to hear it again, I'm, it, I'm you, looking you know, on my steering yeah, wheel yeah, for yeah. How can I go back? I want yeah, to hear that you know, again. How many times can't. I've tried to, uh, how, how many times I've been, I've reflexively touched the screen trying to go back. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, and I, I, as far as I know, I'm not aware of any automobile technology that, that does that sort of DVR recording of the radio stream that you're listening to and allows you to back up 20, 30, 40, 50 seconds, five minutes, whatever, as most, well, a lot of TV services that sort of have the DVR functionality built in let you do. Uh, I think that's a, that's a, a killer new feature that yeah. car radios could offer. There's a lot of room for innovation is the point. Yeah, uh, there's a huge open space there for innovation that's now being filled by by uh, NPR and and Sirius XM with with the old model. Not to disparage their content, it's great. And I would jump in and and add from the from the editorial side, and this is something I'll freely admit, editorial types like me are divided on. But something that uh, John knows I've been excited about from day one at Rivet, and that I think can make journalism better is the data that's available from watching how long people stay engaged with any piece of content. How long do they listen before they swipe on to the next story? Are they engaged from beginning to end? Or do we, as the writers of scripts and the readers of reports, lose their interest after a certain time? I think that can make journalism better and more effective. Uh, but those tools are not widely available to the creators of audio content in particular. Uh, Print-based websites have made some progress on that, but uh, I don't think audio is 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 uh, in a position where it has caught up with that yet and provide that kind of can provide that kind of feedback to the creators of audio content so they can learn how effective or ineffective their work is. So a lot of it's going to come down to who's in charge. <laughs> who's in charge of doing of of uh, leading this next phase of innovation. And and what we found in the early days when John and I were first talking about this and, and he, he and I separately made trips out to Detroit is that, you know, people were sort of, you know, there was a fly ball in the outfield called the connected car. People were backing away from it. It's uh, thinking somebody else was going to catch it. <laughs> and uh, I think that someone, you know, one of those parties, the, the media company, I don't think the media companies have enough, sway in this thing to be a leader they can be a quick follower with with good content but i think it's going to come down to the to the mobile players and the, and the car makers to figure out how they're going to 
how they're going to solve this problem and, and what kind of offering they're going to provide. Maybe there's room for a third party provider to go in there and split the difference. I don't know. But John, you, you talk to these people. Where do you think the leadership can come from? I think what's interesting, your comment about how the media companies don't have enough, I'm going to say, sway or power or position. I think the same issue is with the car companies. Interestingly, one of the things that hurts the car companies is there are so many of them. You know, it's not like Apple, iPhone, Android. The, the scale of those two companies actually pales the scale of car companies. Even though car revenue is huge, car companies sell hundreds of thousands of cars a year and Google and Apple have billions of users. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. there, there, so there's something happening there. If you think about your home, mm -hmm. you don't play Netflix from your smartphone in your home. You know when you watch on when you watch on a big screen, and unless you've unless you've lost your remote and you have to use your phone as a remote, right? Exactly, <laughs> it, it can happen. But what's happened is there are people who have designed the home theater experience, the home streaming experience, and inter interfacing the streaming services with the live services. And there are a bunch of them. I mean, it started with what TiVo back you know twenty years ago, and there are Roku. I mean, there are lots of people doing that today. I think that maybe somebody like that, a Roku for the car comes along yeah. who, who basically says, I'm not going to, I'm going to integrate radio. I'm going to integrate the broadcast piece, but I'm going to dominate the streaming piece and I'm going to design an experience right for the car companies that can then put it in the cars. But the key thing is the car companies want to make money off of it. You know, mm -hmm. they, they don't want it as a cost to them. They want to make money off of it. And that's one of the things they like about the Sirius XM model is Sirius XM actually pays them money right. to have that platform and that service in the car. So I think the business model is, you know, may, maybe Apple, maybe Google, but the car companies really don't want them to be the ones. And I also think Apple and Google have other sometimes bigger missions in terms of what they're doing. Right. But maybe a, you know, think Roku, think Hulu, something like that for the car. Maybe there's a couple of players that come out of it and 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 maybe that's how it how it evolves. But somebody I think somebody new has to get into the Yeah, even a Spotify yeah. maybe. But you know, speaking from the media standpoint, the media will always try to avoid new investment <laughs> until there's clear evidence. So, so that's, that's why repurposing is so, is so popular as we've moved through the digital age. I mean, the first wave of web, news websites is all repurposed newspaper content and that's continued. And 25 years into it, we're starting to see, you know, new kinds of presentations, which couldn't appear anywhere else, but on the phone or on a pad. So it's taken that long. So I think the media companies will always try to repurpose what they're already doing until it becomes clear that, oh my God, this really is a real thing. There's money to be made. There's an audience, et cetera. And, and so it will take all of that. So maybe I'm contradicting myself about being around the corner because there's still a lot, there's still all of that to solve. But I, I just think that all of the, the uh, necessary ingredients are there and it just, it's what's going to ignite the next wave of, of innovation uh, that to me is the, is the key. But how much of this content, let's say that the, the fire is lit, and uh, content start is starting to be created. How much will be human powered? How much will be AI powered? 
how much use of synthetic voicing will there be? Will that open finally open the door to more synthetic voicing and allow that to be further developed? It's already at a point where it's pretty darn good. And the, the one thing about having on-demand content, as you know, from Rivet, you know, being a leader in how to categorize it and mark it up is it, you got to have a load of content to be right. to personalize. I mean, you can't personalize a little bit of content. The only reason to, to have personalization is to narrow it down to exactly what I want. So you're not going to get away with just personalizing the top 25 stories of the day. You're going to personalize the 500 stories of the day or the 1000 stories of the day. And when you get up to that level and it all has to be voiced, well, now you're into a different, now you're into a different territory. We've so, seen that. You're right, Jim. Text-to-speech has come a long way to the point where sometimes it's difficult to tell, is it real or is it uh, computerized? The nut that hasn't been cracked yet by a lot of people who are using text-to-speech is that the underlying text isn't written conversationally. And yeah, that well, provides a big clue. And in the long, long run, I think some fatigue for listeners who, who can't help but realize, yes, I am being read to as opposed to being talked to by Yeah, you, you absolutely can't use what I call text meant to be read. You need text meant to be spoken. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and a, you know, at Rivet, we know it's, it means contractions. It means right. pronouns, uh, all these things which are not common in wire and newspaper story writing. Yeah, but instance. you know, Charlie, we... At the AP, we we taught a computer how to do that. We taught a computer to take a, a story written to be read and turn it into a story written, uh, meant to be spoken, and it works. You know, we basically turned the style rules into algorithms, and and we and we were able to do that. And we and the AP now and Rivet used them uh, summaries, broadcast summaries that that um, that machines mostly drive. I mean, the humans are checking them after they're produced, but uh, machines are are doing the bulk of the legwork. So that's that's possible. And I also think that it's possible to create voicing. Well, let's say we want Charlie Marson to do all of it. So Charlie Marson can't do, you know, a thousand stories a day, but Charlie's Marson's <laughs> Charlie Marson's voice can do a thousand stories a yeah. day. So just to add a couple of other thoughts, when we were mixing text to speech traffic reports, and I'll tell you a little bit how we did that with with live with live voices, we, what we found was all TTS is fatiguing, but mm -hmm. a mix of human and TTS actually is okay. Mm -hmm. And especially if the TTS is stuff that is really valuable and contextual. So for example, the way we produce traffic is, you know, you, you listen to a traffic report in LA and there are, you know, you're in San Bernardino and you're getting traffic for Orange County and who cares about that? But what we did is we broke up LA into 17 regions. And when you geocode, when you cross the geofence and you were in the Orange County region, we had a text-to-speech report that was published just now of what's happening right now. And Charlie had helped uh, write the scripts with contract. So it sounded really good. It was your traffic around you personalized. And it was no touch. It was just automatically generated for 105 cities. And so we know that can happen at, at scale. But I think what has happened now is you can put text into the machine that turns it into something listenable. And now I actually think it opens up tremendous opportunities for much more niche content, local news, 
even things like, you know, I was, I was in a fire in Laguna and there was this big fire on the hill and homes ended up burning, but nobody knew what was going on. And I would have loved to have been able to get the data feeds from the police, the fire safety from next door, from the people in the neighborhood, just talking about it. I would have loved to have gotten that fed to me in my car audio and it wouldn't have been perfect. It would have been, you know, caveated. This is coming from next door. This, you know, but to be able to do that, it's all possible today. And that would have been really valuable because I had no idea how big this fire was and what roads to take or not to take. I think what you're getting at here too is is that we we've been talking like it's all going to be audio, but it could be a mixture of media. Absolutely, uh, and probably will be multiple media. So. You've got social posts coming in from the scene that can be read or spoken through the car in addition to the, to the program content. But, but I think uh, another point to make about the program content is in an on-demand playlist kind of thing, you're not going to build your playlist all with just you know, two-minute news stories. You're going to build your playlist with a few two-minute news stories, traffic report, weather report, and then maybe a longer piece or the next chapter of your audio book or whatever it might be. And so the voicing for that can be different. I mean, the voicing for, for a podcast is conversational. So it's us talking to each other and makes it real for people. But, but voicing for a short newscast or a short news story can be synthetic and still sound better than reasonably good. It can sound just fine. And then a, a, maybe a whole newscast where you have to, where you where it's, where it's programmed or something that's not a podcast, but it's more of a program that needs narration. Maybe that's human voice, but there's a lot of options here. Absolutely. And I think the other thing is that when you think about cars and inter international, different voices, different languages, if you think about what it costs to create a news story by the AP, but to be able to have it then translated into different languages so that the story could be voiced in France, real time in French, uh, really expands the the value of that content from a you know from a media uh, pub, you know company perspective, and from a car uh, company and from a driver, it makes it that experience that much better. So I this is why I continue to be very excited. Yeah, about, yeah because all this technology. I mean, that technology you're talking about actually all you know already exists. My point about Charlie Myerson synthetic voice reading a thousand stories well he can read a thousand stories and he can he, he could be reading it in different languages and it'll sound like charlie i'd love to hear uh, charlie in chinese well i mean yeah i mean i've heard it i've heard it done i've had <laughs> i've sat in demos and blown away by it but it's a it's it's a matter of how all these different technologies which most of which already exist can now be can now be combined into a new kind of experience for the car that will blow people away and make them forget about changing changing the station on the radio <laughs> i'd just like to say for the record that my voice will not be heard at that scale until or unless i am compensated accordingly well that's the, you know when we when we started thinking about this we started thinking about at the ap we started thinking about having a voice and let's take one of our broadcasters and and uh and have them be the voice uh, but then you gotta you know how do we compensate that person and how yeah. do we license that i mean you, and what if that person's voice uh, and i'm i'm speaking for someone very near and dear to me in this case, myself, what if that mm -hmm. voice, the, that person whose voice it is, for whatever reason, is uncomfortable with the content to which his yeah, or right. her voice has been assigned? Your negotiations with John would last a couple more weeks. Yeah. So, you know, it, I suspect <laughs> that, I mean, except for real, real celebrities, 
who would come at an extreme premium, a lot of news organizations might prefer to come up with a generic yeah, creative open voice. source voice rather yeah, than this creative voice and call it my something. voice. Even if it were, you know, literally Charlie's voice as opposed to a created voice, you'd want to be transparent about it. One of the things that we've done, even just with some of the AI that we've done around creating narrative text from uh, data is that we've disclosed at the bottom of the story that it was, that it was created by a machine and not by a human. And, and I, I think that that would be part of it too. Those kinds of disclosure and transparency would be key to it for people yeah. for credibility's yeah. sake. Yeah. Or maybe it's the first thing you hear when you turn on an app or tune into right. a, a service that, Hey, right. some of the stories you're about to hear are generated artificially. Right. Right. My point of view on all of this, and, and I have a liberal point of view on this because I've been working in AI for 10 years now is that there are some ethical, you know, a lot of ethical concerns, but they're not impossible hurdles to get over. And I think that a lot of our uh, hangups about synthesizing content, even all the way to, to video content, they're going to change. And we're, as creators, we're going to get more comfortable with it. As content consumers, people are going to get more more comfortable with it. And I think a lot of barriers to artificial creation of content or synthetic synthetic content are going to change and they're going to change rapidly. Who knows? Maybe that'll be one of these ignition points that we're looking for in the car if, if more content can be created. Because I do think that it's not a small point, but if you're going to personalize, you got to have a lot of content. Well, and I think the work that you have done, I think you used a narrative text from data. Right. That uh, was the phrase you used. But, but basically the idea of you can create interesting audio and visual uh, output from anything written or, or or data. I mean, so we created an audio traffic report from speed values along a road based on your location, and that turned into an interesting personalized audio report. So there mm -hmm. was nothing written other than a template for what the report should say, and the data was was feeding into it. And I think that there is so much opportunity, so much written data that could, with this technology, could create interesting content, consumable content, and then the discoverability and the delivery of it becomes really the challenge and the, and the opportunity. But there could be an infinite amount of content from using this technology. The difference is in production. So the production workflows have to change pretty radically. So if you're just when we were one of the projects we did uh, famously was that we we automated the creation of earnings news reports for every single company in the stock market five years ago, where we as the human beings were covering a, sm a small fraction of the companies in the stock market and using AI, we were able to crank out uh, earnings reports for every single company reporting. And uh, it wasn't automatic. It wasn't like press this button and and it happens. You have to set up the templates, you have to work through it, you have to apply the rules, you have to come up with the algorithms, et cetera. But once you do all of that front end work, then it does really just run. So there's a lot more, I guess it comes down to, if you want to really simplify, it comes down to more upfront work for this kind of programming, for personalized programming, because you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta create the templates for the content to flow into flow into you've got to be you've got to create the markup or the metadata uh, the, the, the data about the data, the information about the content that's going to be that the machines are going to read. You got to create all of that, and 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 once you have all of that, 
then you can create then, they, then you can create these systems that can highly personalize or highly customize the output. But it's a it's a wholly different deal than than everybody showing up on the set and doing a podcast. So yes, and that is so that was the navtech navigation perspective that we brought in to this. And it is it, you're absolutely right. It's the structured data. So the traffic data structured, the routing information structured. That's how you can deliver in 105 cities personalized traffic because mm -hmm. all of this traffic data is validated and in a format. And what you what what we were able to do is bring your location and information about where you were and and today and right now. And then it would grab that structured data and put it into the. Do you remember Mad Libs, where you would? Yeah, right. It was a mat. It was basically Mad Libs with traffic data. Is what yeah, that's we did. what it is. I mean, that's what that's what that's what natural language generation is. It's it's Mad Libs. Yeah, yeah. So, John, what do you think the business model is going to be that'll get this thing over the hump? I mean, if you're highly personalizing content. You got to believe that advertising will make a comeback. Well, think uh, about think about how highly personalized the advertising now can be. So, yeah, but you'd also be willing to pay for it if it's going to be really suited for you. That's right. So, we're thinking a lot about it. And, and you know, w when we first came out, we were thinking the mobile phone was the the business model. You know, and we put our app on the i on the iPhone, the Android. We got integrated into cars, but the mobile phone, it just didn't create the kind of engagement and listening and experience that I think is really necessary and is really possible. I do believe that Elon Musk is a game changer in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And I think what he did with Tesla for EV, of course, has made all of the auto, the car companies now deal with, with EV. I don't think they would have for another 10 years. But I think when he put that screen in there and said, we, we want the experience to be fun. I think the car companies are now trying to figure that out. What's interesting is if you can bring in streaming and the ability of the drivers and passengers to talk with their car, you actually create an opportunity for the car companies to extend their brand to inside the car. So instead of the look and feel ending at the right. dealership, and maybe when it gets serviced, now the look, feel, and sound creates an opportunity to extend the whole driving experience, the onboarding, the all of that kind of stuff, and also allows the car companies to have an ongoing conversation there. So I, I think there's tremendous branding opportunities mm -hmm. which could get the car companies interested. I think also if we can come up with unique, compelling content that you really only can get in the car because of location and context, I think that's another part of it. And then the fact that you're streaming to people where they are, they will know you're in a BMW if BMW would give them that data. Mm -hmm. They would know that this ad was going to a person in a BMW. That's a really valuable ad to be able to deliver that. So I think the value of advertising for the, this streaming platform, call it Roku for the car or whoever's running it, the value of advertising and promotion could actually far exceed radio, you know, what, what radio ever got to in its heyday. 
So I think there are business pieces out there. And imagine a Roku for the car paying BMW to be in the car and getting data from BMW that they can use to optimize the programming and the ads. BMW may say no ads, then Roku for the car says, okay, then pay me that equivalent. So I think, you know- Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. But I, you left one thing off your tick list there, and I think that's ease of use. It's still too hard. <laughs> it's still too hard to figure out uh, what you're going to do uh, when you get in the car. I mean, as far as the, the entertainment goes, I mean, you do I plug my car, uh, plug my phone in or do I don't not plug my phone into it? Do I go with the native experience or not the native experience? Oops, I forgot my phone. I mean, it's not that complex, but it's enough. It's enough of a hassle, I guess, to create you know a barrier to people really embracing a really good experience. Jim, you, you raised a lot of uh, good questions. There are two things that I think have to happen for this to be adopted, massively adopted. One, it, it has to be as easy as radio, mm-hmm. and it has to be as smart as the internet. Yeah, and well said. And so the, now what I w- would say is that the context of the car, there are so many sensors, there are so many things that could inform the car as you turn it on. It knows who you are. It knows you're in a BMW 3 Series. It has your past interests and preferences of what you've played. It might even know where you're going. So just with turning it on, it could know so much about you. So to me, that suggests it really needs to be an embedded experience. Because if you're hooking up, and this is what we learned with car plays and other things. If you're hooking up the phone, you got to open the app. And if you don't open the app, then you're not yeah. doing it. So, but when you get in a car, the location is real. You're going someplace. So to me, simple as radio, smart as the internet has to be an embed. I think it's going to be embedded, but it's but it's going to talk to your phone. It's going to mm-hmm. get information from your phone. And I think the way people interface with it has got to be both voice and touch because that's the way people interface with things. Some people are okay with voice. Some people hate voice and don't don't want it. And I think the way it plays back to you in the car, particularly with cars today, it has to be an audio dominant experience with visuals. You can have images, maps, pictures, text, you know, if you look at what's now on a screen in the, you know, you can read the name of the song, you can read the name of the headlines, you know, not distracting. That all can happen today. But when you get to a future of more self-driving cars, of course, that experience can become more rich, but that's a long ways away. Yeah. The money to be made is the key. I mean, when, when when there's enough money to be made across that spectrum of stakeholders, I think you'll start to see some acceleration in all of this, but the, all of the things we've talked about, the technology, the capability mostly exists if it doesn't, isn't totally already. All, it all exists. Yeah. And, and, and so it's a matter of refinement. It's a matter of uh, combining things into yep. uh, combining known technologies into unique experiences. And, and the car is such a wide open territory, and particularly if you're going to mostly sit there five years from now, and it's going to be a, it's going to be even quieter because uh, it's going to be electric. 
we've been exploring how news and media organizations can revolutionize and scale content in the connected car. Our guests on Talking the Drive have been Associated Press Strategy Chief Jim Kennedy and Rivet Editorial and Development Guru Charlie Meyerson. I'm John McLeod, and I welcome your thoughts. Drop me a line at drive, D-R-I-V-E, at rivet360.com. Talking the Drive is produced by Rivet360, a technology and production company that's excited about what's next for people, places, and things. Music